Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Well, we're back. It's August, and it's been a minute since we've recorded a podcast. We're here with Maestro Clay Couturio. Hey, good, Clay. Good to be here. How are you? I'm, I'm great. And our president and executive director, Lori Garvey. Hello. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to talk about. Probably the upcoming concerts, the season, the repertoire. I think we'll just talk about the season as a whole. Okay. And uh, a little bit about each one so you get an, an, an overview, an idea. I know everybody's excited to hear about it, and I'm sure we'll have commentary to go along with it along the way. So, Of course. Maestro, over to you. Sure. Well, we have, as we have had in the past, our, our six subscription concerts for the season. And our opening night is October 1st, and we have three works on the program. And, you know, you always have to think about when you program what is interesting for the audience, what, what do they want to hear, what is uh, good for the orchestra in terms of what challenges them, what, what's going to make the orchestra better in the long run, what have we not performed in a while that needs to be uh, performed again, or what have we not performed ever that needs to be performed. So there's all these questions that come in mind, but then how do you put it together within a concert? And then how do you put it together within an entire season? You don't want to have uh, too much of one composer over sure. the entire season, obviously. Right. You want to right. give a, a mixture. So that implies that you had some thought going into the repertoire. Yes. And sometimes it's over a longer period of time than just one season. You might have a five-year plan oh, or sure. you know, even a 10-year plan at, at some point. just depends on the situation. But uh, back to our first concert, we have uh, Musorsky's Night on Ball Mountain, which is a pretty famous work. Yes. Uh, most people will know it from uh, Disney's Fantasia. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about this work uh, is Musorsky... Uh, wrote it and originally uh was on for piano and many composers liked it and so they started making their own orchestrations of it the most famous orchestration when i say orchestration i mean right or orchestra right? right 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 um is by another russian composer rimsky korsakov who we just performed Did. his yes, work right. shahrazad last last season, season. yes right uh, incidentally, when I mentioned Fantasia, uh, that was with the Philadelphia Orchestra and Leopold Stokowski conducting. And as I said, there are different versions of this Night on Ball Mountain. He, he as in Stokowski, actually made his own orchestration of it. And that's what's in Fantasia. It's, uh, it does so sound, more widely known or? Well, the Rimsky-Korsakov is the most famous. Right. Uh, and the way Stokowski makes his version, it sounds very f similar. They're just different uh, touches of color that are different. He might put it in the, the theme in this instrument versus what Rimsky-Korsakov right. did. So it changes color, it changes tone, um, a little bit of mood. The overall mood is the same, uh, right. what the piece is about. But I just find that interesting that people know it from Fantasia, but what they hear more often in the concert hall is Rimsky-Korsakov's version. Um, and of course, it's uh, a musical picture of of uh, uh, witches and spirits courting right. at uh, around midnight, and 
uh, we'll talk more details when we get concert by concert or later podcasts. But sure. I, n- I know when I think of that piece in, in Fantasia, it's, it's the big opening with the, you know, the, the picture of the beast on the mountain. Yes, or, yes. that's exactly it. You know, that's exactly it. Uh, so we open with that and it's October and that, that's kind of an, I think, appropriate, appropriate month to, to sure. play that and start the season, have fun. Uh, if you like to be spooked, I guess. And then after that, our opening number, we're uh, bringing in a cellist, Nicholas Kanalakis, and uh, he's a wonderful player. He's going to perform Camille Sanson's Cello Concerto Number no. 1 in A minor. And that's a fantastic work. It's, um, it's not a huge, big, long concerto. It's 20 minutes or so, mm-hmm. give or take, depending on the tempos. Uh, that we'll find out what he does soon enough. And um, I mention that because in programming a, a, a concert, you have to give all these, that's another factor is the duration of each, each work. Sure. And when I program, I, I, uh, you have to consider what is the, what I, for lack of a better term, what is the cornerstone work of the uh, cornerstone worker idea of the concert. Right. And in this case, it's our final work, which is the Rachmaninoff Second Symphony. So the, you, you've actually programmed the, the, the second concert with the end concert in mind? Uh, no, no. I, I'm within this one concert. Oh, I this see. This first okay. concert, there's a cornerstone idea or piece. In this sure. case, it's the Rachmaninoff because I say it's cornerstone because it is a large massive work sure it's big okay. it's it's a quite long um almost an hour it can be it's long so you build around that if you do that you don't want to have even a longer concerto or to so since that's the cornerstone that's second half the first half uh the concerto is not quite as long as some other concertos and it just balances out the program itself uh i don't expect the audience to to think about that too much. Right. It's just as a chef would prepare a meal, the audience is there to sit down, enjoy it for what it is. And they, they may have questions about that or why, you know, maybe even questions as to I'm enjoying it, but I'm not sure why or what is this. So I'm trying to explain in that, in that fashion. Folks, you need to listen to the podcast <laughs> prior to the concerts. Uh, but back to the Saint-Saëns concerto, Saint-Saëns, uh, French composer, very underrated, I think. But uh, uh, we performed his second piano concerto during the pandemic. Uh, are we in the pandemic still? I guess we're still. What would know. you it, say? It seems kind of like it's it's an ongoing thing. It's an I ongoing think we're, thing. We're, we're we're well when we were in the heart of it and we had the social distance on stage, we performed right, uh, which wasn't that long ago. Yes, right. Yes. Uh, but we're, this is the cello concerto, and one unusual aspect of it is it's. It has three movements to it, and but it's shorter, like I said, 20 minutes. But all of the movements are connected. It's played continuous. It's without pause. So if you think of usual uh, concerto, it's three movements is a fast movement and a slow movement mm-hmm. and a fast movement. Mm-hmm. Those are the three movements. And even symphonies before when there were only three movements is, was the same idea. That comes from, by the way, uh, old opera overtures. There was a fast section, slow section, and a fast section. Then they took that idea when they made started writing pieces of music called symphonies. 
it was three movements, fast, slow, fast. And then when a fourth movement was added, it was the third movement, which became a minuet trio. I That's, see. Yeah. But back to the fast, slow, fast idea. This concerto has three of those, but they're all connected. So it'll be fast, and then there'll be an ending to it, but it goes right into the slow section, the slow movement, and then back to the fast. Uh, it, I, it's significant. We call that, when it's uh, continuous like that, each movement is attacka, goes directly to. I see. And th that's important because uh, it wasn't always that way. And then people, composers like Beethoven for symphonies started writing attacka movements. So each section has a, a fairly fluid segue. Yes, exactly. From one section to the other. That's exactly it. Uh, and then, as I mentioned before, the Rachmaninoff Second Symphony is our real big cornerstone work of the program, of the concert. It really shows off the orchestra. Um, all sections, there's a huge clarinet solo in the third movement. Uh, oh, since I mentioned Fast, Slow, Fast, this, this particular symphony has four movements. But what's unusual about that is uh, it's not fast, slow, and then a minuet and fast. Rachmaninoff switches the order of what's slow and what's fast. The slow movement is actually the third movement. And that's a big, that's a big deal to make changes like that in, in the history of music. is, is a big Sure. Deal. Now, he didn't come up with that idea. Actually, Beethoven did. Everybody well, goes back to course. Beethoven, and <clears throat> Beethoven did it earlier with his Ninth Symphony. And uh, I think that really influenced many composers, Rachmaninoff, Mahler, and so and, forth. And you've mentioned that before, that Beethoven was a, um, we'll call him sort of a rebel rouser of, the, of his time. He did a lot of things that were... Yes. You can basically put, if you look from Beethoven, things that happened pre-Beethoven and things that happened right. post-Beethoven. Even tempo changes. There's a, there's a tempo called Andante, mm -hmm. which is slower than an allegro but faster than an adagio and then there are smaller terms called andantino they're close to andante right right andantino now at one point it meant a little slower than andante like a small andante a little slower but beethoven said no i'm going to start to write it this way and we're, we're going to put and he would even put metronome marking sometimes and he made it faster than andante and all these other composers at the time went oh beethoven Thought writes it less way. So it kind of changed after that. So post-Beethoven, Andantino started to become a little faster. Um, I tell my conducting students that at UNT, and, and you just have to keep that in mind, right. especially when they only give you a tempo marking. Tempo marking is, are, are the words at the top of the score of each movement or of a uh, work, the actual words, like Andantino. Right. That's different than a metronome marking. Metronome marking is a number. Like uh, on a metronome, right. Right, right. Uh, uh, how many beats per minute? So if it's a quarter note equals 60, right, there, that would make 60 clicks per minute. Sure. Um, but we have to separate those ideas as musicians. Metronome marking, technical, and it's numbers, right? It's all about timing. Tempo marking, and tempo is a, has to do with movement, but those are the actual words. And sometimes the tempo markings can have a little more meaning as uh, even in terms of emotional ideas and things of that nature too. And we see that influence in the pieces that yes, you're performing. Yes, we look at the, uh, the musicians and myself, we all look at these terms and there's many different markings like that throughout the music. So it's not just notes, it's not just right. a quarter note right. or a staccato or a slur, there's, there's much more into it. Uh, 
composer like Mahler, Gustav Mahler, he didn't trust anybody, especially conductors. And so he would put many markings and he would write paragraphs. Don't go too fast here. Don't go too slow here. Don't. And at some point you have to, as a musician, use a little bit of instinct right. in, into that. And you're, uh, otherwise you'll be afraid to, it's like driving. You're afraid to right. go forward and you have to stop immediately and things of that sure. nature. All right. So that's the first concert. And our second concert, which is November 5th, uh, features two of our own uh, as, as soloists on the same piece. So our concert master, Elizabeth Adkins, and our principal violist, Susan Dubois, are going to perform Mozart's Symphonia Concertante. That's for violin right. and viola right. with the orchestra accompaniment behind them. Uh, it's a wonderful work. It's about 30 minutes long or so, and it's got three movements, and it is fast, slow, fast. Um, shows them off brilliantly. And what one unusual thing is Mozart, who loved the violin but also and played the violin, but he loved the viola too, and that's why they put these two instruments together. And he uh, was working with, uh, he had different ideas in mind. One is for the viola originally, uh, and it might have had to do with the violas of the time, but he uh, wrote this in a different key for viola than he did for the violin. And the reason he did that is he wanted a different, a more a brilliant sound with, with the viola. And so he retuned the viola itself so it's tuned differently than it's normally so it's detuned it's yeah it, it's called scordatura where you okay. tune its strings in a different than what's normal and to to counteract that you have to write the piece in a different key, key. now some players will play it that way and some players want to keep the instrument as is they can play better in tune and they can make it just as brilliant and, and the, with technology with over time, right. the facility of the instrument itself, um, players can do this. It's just like football players over the years have gotten stronger, bigger, and stronger. Right. Right, same right. idea with musicians. So a lot of violists will keep it, un, uh, will keep it in the uh, original key of their instrument, not sure uh, what what Mozart did per se. But it sounds, you know, to the ear, it's going to sound the same as it did before. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, really thrilled that uh, both of these women are going to be performing. They're fantastic musicians and, and great people too. Big leaders of the orchestra. Uh, we actually opened the concert with uh, a London-born composer. Her name is Anna Klein, and it's a work called Pivot. It's just a short opener, and it uh, has fragments of a tune that is uh, traditional from 18th century Scotland but also is used in America around the same time with fiddlers. Okay, yeah. sure. You could see how they would go right. from, yes, absolutely. from there to mm -hmm. America. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that'll, that will be fun for the orchestra. We also have a work on the uh, concert by Florence Price, who uh, was an African-American composer and a female in America in the earlier part of the 20th century into the mid part. And a lot of her works have recently become more well-known, and we want to promote them too. It's a wonderful work called uh, Andante Moderato, and it's for strings. And um, 
I, I know the audience will enjoy it. It's just beautiful, beautiful, lush sounds. And then the final work on the program is Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5, probably one of the, if not the most famous opening four notes in all right. of music. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, yes. exactly. And the great thing is everybody knows it. The difficult thing about it is Everybody, Everybody knows. knows it. So they're going to know, right? And so when something is this famous, the question is, what do we bring to the table to perform this? They could easily go and listen to it on a recording. Of course, we're promoting live music. Well, sure. But what are we bringing to this work? What is the Richardson Symphony Orchestra, when they play this piece, going to bring? And what I try to promote with that is, it's our interpretation, our personalities through Beethoven. So it's not Beethoven alone. I mean, Beethoven alone, all he could do was put it on a piece of paper. Right. But the fact that there are performance, and that's what's different between, and I've said this on, probably on previous podcasts, but difference between like painting yes. and music is yeah. once the painter paints and they put what they do on the canvas, the audience or the can interpret many different ways and see things, you know, different. Right. Yes, we talked ways. about that. But when the composer writes down on the page, the performer, the musician, takes that and then has to put something into it themselves. Right. Right. They can say that that's only what they think Beethoven would do, and that's what you. That's the intention. But you, you're the person alive. You're the person creating the sound. So that has, to, that has to be apparent to the audience. Right. And so I try to promote with the members of the orchestra to put their personality, if there's an oboe solo that's being played, that person's personality has to come through with Beethoven's notes in mind that goes out to the audience. Our patrons, that's what moves people. Right. Our patrons are not coming to hear another symphony. They're coming here to hear the RSO. Right. And- the RSO on that particular night, where everybody in that room, <clears throat> it's the only time it's going to be that way. Exactly. Where people are seated exactly where they are in that moment. And it won't be the same again, even if you play the same piece again. That's right. That's right. Even if we played it again later that night, right. it wouldn't be the same. Right. Um, this is a four-movement work. The movements three into four are attacca, and that was a big deal at the time. Uh, Beethoven also added some instruments that were we wouldn't consider it now to be a big deal but it was at the time the piccolo the contrabassoon and the three trombones they were never used in the orchestra for a symphony at, at that until really? that moment and it all they all come in at the last movement really yeah so our next concert is the holiday classics concert on december 3rd and uh, it's a tradition now. We've done a holiday concert every December, as many orchestras right. do. Uh, and we are really pleased to have the First United Methodist Church Richardson Choir with us this year. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. We've worked with them before, uh, but not at the Eisman Center. So this will be. That's right. Right. And uh, I've been working with Mike Lightfoot uh, with the program itself and we have a lot of surprises in store uh, some wonderful works wonderful arrangements for 
uh, chorus and and the orchestra and a few other surprises. We might have some handbells and other. I don't want to give too much away. Sure, that folks, you need to come to the concert. But beautiful arrangements. You know, I always say when you are thinking about holiday concerts and everybody knows the traditional carols and tunes. You don't want to always hear it in the same way, right? That's exactly so right. That's what arrangers can do. They can make it uh, new, fresh. And so that we're always looking for those types of selections. It'll be a fun collaboration as well because we have so many friends who are members of that choir. So I look forward to those rehearsals. And, and I'm sure they're and excited the about it. They yeah. are. They really are. Right. And single ticket sales are really high for that concert because word has gotten out and single tickets are now on sale. So I'm, I'm sure that one's going to be a sellout. Standing room only, folks. We'll have a nice sing-along, too, where the audience can uh, participate. That's great. So the next concert is on February 4th, right? Is that right, uh, Yes, yes. Traditionally, we have our Pops concert in February. And I'm really excited about this concert. We're going to be joined by two outstanding Broadway veterans, Kapathia Jenkins and Aisha DeHaas. And they're going to be singing many favorite tunes. It's going to be such a fabulous collaboration. So I think it's something the audience is truly going to remember and enjoy every moment of. You know, I was talking about cornerstone ideas or pieces. Right. These two ladies, I think, are the cornerstone of this yes. concert with all mm -hmm. the selections they'll, they're going to sing. And they'll be bringing backup singers with them as well. So How fun. really be fun. So it'll yeah. be 20s jazz standards and 40s tunes and 50s film music and things of that nature. Uh, title of the actual concert, as we're promoting, is Fascinating Rhythm. So what are some of the pieces that are going to be in the concert, Maestro? Well, we have some selections of Gershwin, like Summertime and I Got Rhythm. Uh, other pieces that were made famous by Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole and Judy Garland. Uh, there's some pieces uh, almost like Being Love. Uh, a Tisket, A Tasket, actually fascinating rhythm. Uh, Get Happy and uh, many, many more. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Yeah. I know this will be a lot of fun for the orchestra, too, because um, this is a Pops concert, but there's a lot of jazz involved. And so for the, the members of the orchestra, you know, a lot of them are classically trained. Uh, so to do jazz, for some of them, is, you know, out of the ordinary or a little more exciting. Right. So right, they'll, right. They'll, they'll, they put everything into all that they do, but they'll even put more into this. Right. Yeah. It's something that they don't get an opportunity, perhaps, to do that often. Exactly. Certainly in, in the symphonic concert sort of arena. Well, and if you think of the history of jazz, uh, a lot of that, there are jazz bands and uh, jazz trios and groups sure. like that. But usually with a symphony orchestra, not as common to have that backup. So when we do get to do that, it makes it special. And it, and it creates a different type of sound, too. Mm -hmm. And a different kind of um, mood and atmosphere. Yes. So in March, March 5th of 2023, that's our Stars of the Future concert. And that has to do with uh, the Ann and Charles Eisman International Young Artists Competition. And we alternate between strings and piano every other year. And this particular year is going to be for piano. And of course, 
we don't know what that work's going to be yet because we haven't had the competition. Right. Competition, Lori, I believe is in January, right? Yes, okay. yes. The semifinal and final rounds will take place on January 14th. So as soon as we know that night who the winner is and what concerto he or she will perform with the orchestra, we'll be able to announce that. Uh, the rest of that program is Mendelssohn's incidental music from A Midsummer Night's Dream. And so that's from Shakespeare's play. Mendelssohn loved that play and uh, wrote some music to it. By incidental music, uh, you can do, he wrote a lot of music for the play. And then conductors will take excerpts from that and make and just call it incidental music from. And in our case, we're going to do the overture, which is very famous. Uh, the scherzo, mm -hmm. which has a prominent flute solo, our our principal flute, uh, Leslie Daniel Newman, will be fantastic. And there's a nocturne with a beautiful horn solo in it. And then the wedding march, which everyone will recognize. Right. They'll, they'll, they won't know it's from that until they hear it. And they said, I didn't know where that was from. But uh, that those are the four works that we're going to do by Mendelssohn. We also have uh, a work by Bela Bartok called Two Portraits, and that has a nice violin solo for our concertmaster. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but they're two portraits, so uh, two movements. And the first movement is a slower movement, and it, Bartok actually intended to write that as a, a violin concerto, and he gave up on that idea, but it became this. So that's really? why I say there's a big prominent, prominent violin solo in it. And it's the portrait's called... Uh, ideal and uh, so it's very thoughtful very uh, like I said contemplative and uh, the second one movement is fast it's in a, a three eight it's in a waltz fast right. waltz right right and it's called grotesque so it's very different than the first uh, movement and maybe I'm going into too much detail but uh, Bartok really admired this woman and they thought they were going to be together and then she said no. And so I don't know if that's why I went from ideal right. to grotesque, but that's, but that's, <laughs> that's, those are the two movements. And uh, he's one of the great composers. And then our season finale is on April 15th. And it's got four works on it. Uh, Berlioz, Ravel, Strauss, and Brahms, these four composers. And the cornerstone of this particular concert is the actual Brahms Piano Concerto Number no. One in D Minor. That's a large scale concerto, long and big. And we're really pleased to bring back Joyce Yang to play the Brahms, and she's one of our favorite soloists to play with us. Uh, she, of course, won the silver medal at Clyburn. Uh, I forget which year. I think it's two thousand five. But yes. don't quote me on that. No, it was two thousand five. Yeah, and. Uh, We've had many patrons, you know, say, when is she going to return? So this is, this is that time. That's the second half of the program. The first half, we have the Overture to Benvenuto Cellini by Berlioz, which is very festive and really shows off the orchestra. These first three works really are virtuoso pieces for the orchestra. And a uh, work by Ravel called Alborada del Grazioso. And Strauss's Dance of the Seven Veils from Salome, his opera yes. Salome. Uh -huh. And from the biblical story, yes. uh, Salome dances, right? And uh, 
gets a little morbid. It's with John the Baptist's head right. on a platter and things of that. But it's very sensual. It's a tremendous piece for the orchestra. And I know they're all looking forward to playing that. And then after that, the Brahms. And that really concludes our season. Our 61st season yep. of the RSO. And uh, we've got a lot coming up. And I know everybody's excited. I know I am for the holiday concert and the season opener and certainly the the pops and the finale so we're excited about the season ahead and it's it's only a few short weeks away it is maestro thank you very much thank you laurie thank you very much thank you ross we'd like to thank our podcast sponsors humanities of texas the ray charitable trust and frost bank I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at eismancenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Cattorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.